Hi, this is Adam, pastor of Faith Methodist Church. We're so glad to have you listening to our podcast and joining us for worship this way. Uh, the sermon this morning comes from John chapters 20 and 21, uh, beginning at verse 19 of chapter 20 and going through the end of chapter 21, verse 25. And the title of the message is How the Resurrection Changes Everything. That's uh, something we uh, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago on Easter is that the, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. So today we're going to look at how it changes everything. And then next week, the hope is that we will look at why it changes everything. Enjoy. I invite you to turn with me this morning to John's Gospel, chapter 20. We're going to begin reading in verse 19, and then we will read all the way through the end of the Gospel of John in chapter 21, verse 25. Rick, I'm not going to tell him who said it, but somebody told me last week that they really appreciated the length of last week's sermon because uh, it was a little bit shorter than normal. Um, but uh, And then I've already had another person mention how warm it is and say, hey, can you keep the sermon kind of short this morning? And, and you're probably looking at your bulletin thinking, oh my goodness, he's reading a lot of Scripture. This is going to take a while. We are going to move through quite a bit of Scripture, but uh, hopefully the sermon uh, won't be too much longer than it was last week. And of course, too much is always relative, right? The Word of Christ from the Gospel of John. On the evening of the day that Jesus rose from the dead, being the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand out and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. 
They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. So he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus, we pray that you would bless the reading of your holy word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning. Please send your spirit among us and minister to us as we have need. In your name we pray.
Amen. So a couple of things stand out to me that um, as I was reading just kind of hit me. One is that we often pile on Thomas and we besmirch him by giving him the that name Doubting Thomas. And it's interesting that Jesus does not scold him. In fact, what Thomas had missed out on the week prior on Easter Sunday evening, Jesus is willing to offer again to Thomas. Peace be with you. That's pretty incredible. Um, The other thing that stood out to me was that John, like all of the other gospel writers in the New Testament, offer to us the feeding of the 5,000. And you remember Jesus took loaves and fish, little barley biscuits, not big old Italian loaves like we often think of, not like we use for communion, but these little biscuit-sized barley loaves and little sardines. And Jesus here in the privacy of Him Self and seven of his disciples provides again loaves and fish. But this time, we don't know how much bread there was, but we do know that Jesus had already provided fish, but Jesus goes beyond that and offers to these seven weary and wondering and confused disciples, he offers them the grace of using what they have caught, not in and of themselves, but what they've caught by obeying Him. John tells us 153 fish, enormous fish, so big that the nets couldn't be drawn back in the boat, and so big that the nets should have been torn as they were being drug up onto the shore, but somehow they weren't torn. And Jesus is willing to use what Peter and the other disciples provided for the meal. Again, what they provided was in obedience to Jesus' instruction. Hey, try the right side of the boat. Those are just a couple of things that stood out to me as I was, um, as I was reading just now that I think are pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting details that John provides for us that, um, that uh, perhaps we, we ought not miss this morning. So I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on Easter, or a few weeks ago on Easter Sunday morning that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And I've alluded to that a couple of times in these last few weeks since. But this morning what I wanted to do was spend a little bit of time focusing or kind of unpacking that statement because it is a pretty bold and grand statement that the, re- the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. So the question that probably comes to mind, perhaps two questions that might come to mind, are these. How does the resurrection of Jesus change everything, which is what we're going to address this morning? And then secondly, why does the resurrection of Jesus change everything? Why is that the game changer? Why does that affect everything? And hopefully, if the Lord is willing, we'll be looking to that next Sunday. But first, how the resurrection of Jesus changes everything? And I want to lay before you just four uh Pretty, pretty basic thoughts, but thoughts that uh, in light of, of the text this morning that I think it's important we not miss. The first is this. 
If Jesus is risen, then sincere questions, even doubts, find their response in the risen Christ. Again, if Jesus is risen, then sincere questions, even doubts, find their response in the risen Jesus. Notice I said that not that they are answered, but that they find their response in the risen Jesus. Because not always will we necessarily get answers that satisfy our itching of questions. And not always will we get answers that, that prove to us beyond any possible doubt that the doubts that we have about Christ are unfounded. But what Jesus does offer to us, it may not be answers that are to our liking, but what He does offer is the response of His presence. Thomas reminds me of Job. You remember Job? All throughout the book that bears his name, Job has been talking about how unfair and essentially unrighteous it is that he's suffering so much. If good people are to enjoy blessings in life and bad people are to suffer punishments in life, why in the world am I suffering these judgments and these punishments? I've done nothing wrong. And Job and his friends throughout the discourses of, of that book are wrestling and they're offering to him all sorts of false narratives about what the possibilities are. Well, certainly there's something in your life because that's just how karma works, buddy. You know, you do wrong, wrong comes back to you. And Job is filled with all these questions and all these concerns and all these, these, these um, interrogations that if God would just show up, He would offer to God. And what happens is that God does not give him answers to any of his questions, but what God gives him is his presence. And in the end, we find that God does show up. And when he begins to speak to Job, Job falls dumb and silent. He says not a word. He says, I was playing in a game I had no business playing in, Lord. Forgive me. Not all questions are answered to our liking. Even regarding the resurrection of Jesus, what the Gospel writers and what Paul and his letters give to us are signs that point to the fact that Jesus was indeed raised, but how He just shows up in rooms unannounced, how He simply walks through locked doors, how in a moment He's unrecognizable, to even his closest of friends, people that had cared for him, people who had lived with him on the road for three years. And in the next moment, he's perfectly recognizable. We don't know. He's the same but different. And how that all makes sense, we're not quite sure. And not all doubts will cease to rear their heads. The disciples have seen the risen Jesus. He's spoken into their lives Three times, except for Thomas, only once, he's spoken into their lives, peace be with you. 
He has commissioned them, telling them that you're going to go out into the world just as the Father sent me into this world. So they know that the risen Jesus is out and about doing something. They know that death has not conquered him, but that he instead has conquered death. But even still, as some time passes, what do they do? They get back into the ho-hums of life, of ordinary living. Peter decides, I'm going fishing. Going back to what I know. Going back to what's comfortable. Going back to something that I know how to master. Going back to something that I can be a leader in. Something that I know all about. I'm going fishing. But what Jesus offers to the disciples is precisely what Jesus had offered to Doubting Thomas. He offers to them and to us, very simply, the wounds of our redemption. He bears His scars to them. And what happens when we encounter the risen Christ is not that we get all of our questions answered, and it's not that we get all of our doubts put away, never to return. But what happens when we encounter the risen Christ is we encounter the One who is enough. The One before whom we ought to cry out with our hearts in concert with Thomas, my Lord and my God. If Jesus is risen, secondly then normal life is anything but normal. Again, if Jesus is risen, then normal life is anything but normal. Peter said, I'm going fishing. And so what do the six others do who are with him? Wait up. We're coming along with you. And what happens then, as the disciples are in the boat and they've gone throughout the night and they've not caught a single thing, they have failed in what they knew how to master. They have, they have exactly not done the one thing they knew to do. The one thing they were trying to do. The one thing they intended to do. The one thing they were good at, they failed at it. And what happens is what had happened in the case of Thomas. Jesus showed up. It's funny how Jesus can show up anywhere. He can show up at work. He can show up on the lake. Bill, he can show up when you're driving down the car, right? Jesus can show up anywhere. And what ought to be the daily prayer of our lives, perhaps a prayer that we ought to pray each and every morning, is very simply, Lord Jesus, what are you up to? And how may I join you in it? I think if we were to pray that prayer 
in each and every day of our lives, what we would find is the key to following Jesus. What are you up to? And how may I join you in it? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? It means nothing more and nothing less than this. What is Jesus doing and how can I help? And the crazy thing, the thing that seems to defy logic and the thing that seems to defy and, 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 and wag a fist at the sovereignty of God is the fact that God is so sovereign and Jesus is so much Lord that He's willing to use our feeble attempts to help Him. He's willing to use even the, the 53 fish that we find if we'll but listen to Him. Lord Jesus, what are you up to? And how may I join in it? You can't accomplish the first. What are you up to? Without Scripture and the church. You want to know what Jesus is up to? Read your Bible and go to church. Sure, you can find in other places, but if you neglect those, you won't find them anywhere. And you can't accomplish the second. How may I join you in it without again the church and then without others? Because we do not join Jesus in His work apart from joining Him in the work that He's doing in the lives of others. In the lives of our neighbors, in the lives even of our enemies, in the lives of our overseers, in the lives of those who are under us, in the lives of the least of these, if you want to find what Jesus is doing and you want to take part in it, there must be others in your life. And you must be in the lives of others. And that begins with the church. But if Jesus is risen, normal life is anything but normal. Because all bets are off. If Jesus can show up anywhere, and if He's indeed Lord over our lives then our lives are far from normal. Our lives are far from ordinary. And our lives are far from inconsequential. Even our fishing trips, even the ho-hum of, man, let's go get in the boat. Even that becomes an opportunity for the risen Jesus to show up. And if Jesus is risen thirdly, then following Him gives shape to our lives. Following Him gives shape to our lives, challenging all loyalties and changing all values. Any loyalty we have is challenged by the Lordship of the risen Christ. Any values that we might have of life are changed and transformed, some of them replaced, some of them perfected. Those values that we hold dear are changed by the risen Christ. It's not that nothing matters. It's not that there are no other values. It's not that there are no other loyalties. Rather, it's that all matters 
all things that do matter find their meaning and fulfillment in Him. Peter's preoccupied with a question. When Jesus tells him, follow me, Peter turns and sees John, another one who's part of that inner circle of Peter, James, and John, and one who's intimately close to Jesus, it seems like he either gets jealous of or is just a bit too preoccupied with another who's intimately close to Jesus. says, well, what about him, Lord? And Peter's response is something we often need to hear. That's none of your business. What's that to you? Again, Jesus doesn't always answer the questions that we want Him to answer. Jesus, in our lives, He's not just a priority. Not even the top priority. He's not merely an item on our list of responsibilities or things that we tend to or people with whom we have relationships. Not even at the top of the list. All of the list finds its shape and its being and its value and its loyalties, so to speak, in Him. Our relationship with Him is not just a part of our lives, not even the biggest part of our lives. Our relationship with Him is the totality of our lives. As the Apostle Paul said, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And so if Jesus is risen, then following Him gives shape to our lives. But lastly, if, if Jesus is risen, then all hurts can be healed. All things can be made new. All wrongs can be redeemed. And all lives can be transformed. Peter was a man who had a significant amount of pride. In fact, Jesus kind of points out that pride in recalling to Peter's mind what life used to be like when you were a young man. You used to wear whatever you wanted and you used to go wherever you wanted to go. There's a, a daily running joke in our house currently regarding Daisy because she will go get shoes whenever she wants to go get shoes and she will make demands She'll put those shoes on and she'll insist, we're going outside, Mommy. And Mommy will say, we're not going outside right now. And she'll point at the door, we're going outside, Mommy. We're not going outside. Not right now. Maybe later. Lindsay always jokes with the kids, especially when the, uh, the little boys try to grab onto her and kiss her on the cheek and she's fighting them, fighting them off. Lindsay will say, she's a strong, independent woman. She don't need no man. Daisy's... She is so full of herself, of herself that she's convinced she can wear whatever she wants, when she wants, and she can go wherever she wants to go, whenever she wants to go there. Jesus says, Peter, you are much like that. 
But there's a day coming when someone else will dress you and you will surrender by holding out your arms to be dressed by someone else and someone else will lead you somewhere you don't want to go. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus is talking to His disciples at the intimacy of that Lord's Supper. And He says, Peter says, we'll go with you even to death. And Jesus says, oh really? You're going to go with me to death? Before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll have denied me three times tonight. Mark my words. One of the things that stands out in John's Gospel to me as you're reading through the events of that Monday Thursday as Jesus is standing trial, Peter, in the midst of making his denials and his refusals of admission that he is a disciple of Jesus, one of the things that John makes it a point to tell us is that Jesus began to warm himself by the fire. You know, we like to keep ourselves nice and comfortable. Especially when things are making us uncomfortable. And so when Jesus asked Peter that first time, Peter, do you love me? Peter's response is pretty simple. Well, of course I love you, Jesus. And so... Jesus asked Peter a second time, Do you love me? And Peter, probably getting a bit frustrated, replies back pretty quickly, Jesus, of course I love you. And so John tells us when Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? It cut at the heart of Peter who no doubt is thinking of the fact that he has denied even knowing Jesus three times. And Peter's response is very simple. Jesus, You know all things. You know that I love You. As weak as that love might be, as much as it might hide itself in fear when things get tough, You know that I love you. Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us about Peter's end. John Fox said, Among many other saints, the blessed apostle Peter was condemned to death and crucified, as some do write, at Rome. Albeit some others, and not without cause, do doubt thereof. Hegesippus saith that Nero sought matter against Peter to put him to death, which when the people perceived, they entreated Peter with much ado that he would fly the city. Peter, through their importunity, at length persuaded, prepared himself to avoid But coming to the gate, he saw the Lord Christ come to meet him, to whom he, worshiping, said, Lord, whither dost thou go? To whom he answered and said, 
I am come again to be crucified. By this, Peter, perceiving his suffering to be understood, returned into the city. Jerome saith that he was crucified, his head being down and his feet upward, himself so requiring, because he was, he said, unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner as the Lord was. The resurrection changes everything because if Jesus is indeed risen, then all hurts can be healed, all things can be made new, all wrongs can be redeemed, and all lives can be transformed. Peter knew that. Thomas knew that. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who had once been a son of thunder, he knew it. The risen Jesus is able to take the greatest of possible hurts, the most impossible of all circumstances, things that seem hopelessly unchangeable. And He is able to redeem them and make them new and transform them. Because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Father, we pray that You would help us to trust in Your Son, Jesus, so completely and so entirely that He would take the totality of our lives, every bit of our lives, even the things in our lives that we think of as quite normal and ordinary, that He would take those and make them new and beautiful and redemptive. Jesus, help us to follow You. Help us to make following You be the one thing that characterizes our lives and the thing that characterizes every other part of our lives. In your name we pray. Heavenly Father, Maker of all things, Redeemer of all things, Sustainer of all things, We thank You that You love us so wonderfully, so incredibly that You sent Your Son to redeem us, to rescue us, to offer us new life, to offer us hope and love peace. 
And Lord, we pray that You would help us in our lives to hear His voice calling us to follow Him. And may every part of our lives and every part of our minds and every part of our hearts answer very simply, Yes, Lord Jesus, I will go where You lead. I will give what You require. I will surrender my everything because You are the risen Lord. Lord, You know every need that we have. You know every concern that weighs heavy on us. Lord, You know our anxieties and our worries. You know our every burden. And we pray that You would help us to trust You with and in each of them. We pray that You would be with our people who are traveling and who are sick. We pray that You would watch over them that You would be with them, that You would touch those of us who are hurting, that You would fill those who are empty, that You would satisfy those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, we pray that You would help us to seek You in all things and through all things. Father, we thank You that You love us with a never-wavering, never-faltering love. That You love us perfectly. That You love us despite our unloveliness. And we pray that You would help us to love You enough to surrender all of who we are to You. And we pray this in the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. Before um, before Bill comes to take up the collection, I wanted to mention something, a couple of things. Uh, first, if you haven't completed your communication cards, please do so real quickly and get those get those in the plate uh, or in the baskets as they're passed. Um, but the other thing is, David mentioned that we had our, our Devereaux uh, party this past week, and uh, Bill and Jan were there with us, and we had a, a, an incredible time. Jan was leading um, games and stuff, and the kids had a blast. We had a bl- I don't know how I had a blast, Bill. Uh, it, was, it was good. And something they've done for the last few months is that they've been giving us a card, a thank you card, uh, for celebrating their birthdays with them. And... Um, uh, some of the some of the notes that they'll write in there are incredibly sweet and touching, and um, I'm sharing this so that you'll know that that everything we do as a people, it is because the Lord is desiring to use us, and it's because of your faithfulness and generosity and giving toward His ministry. But something that stuck out to me this time, Bill, we did have we had a younger crowd than normal. Most of the kids were pretty young. And there were 11 there, David mentioned to you. Five of them, um, five of them wrote their first and last names. And um, the staff members had to go and black out 
their last names. And that may sound that may seem silly, but what what that told me, or what that reminded me of, is that these kids, many of them are so innocent. Even though they've been harmed in unspeakable ways, some of them, not all of them, but some of them, uh, by the world, some of them still don't recognize the dangers of of the world. And um, I just wanted to share that with you. We'll put it out on the uh, on the table as you're walking by if you want to take a look at some of the names of these kids. Uh, their first names are still on there, and uh, these were really sweet kids. And they said very simply, thanks for celebrating with us. And so thank you so much uh, for all that you do as a congregation uh, to make it possible for us to, to minister to those that are hurting, that um, to those that uh, that are often uh, forgotten, and um, I think it's pretty incredible what the Lord's doing through us, and um, and that's because of your willingness to be faithful to Him. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great Shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. May we all go in the blessing of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please check out our website at faithmethodistchurch.org.